Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the last call edition. We get you set for the last home game of the year, featuring two teams that currently find themselves in last place, the 5-8 Bengals and the 3-10 Oakland Raiders. Coming up, my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to discuss a wide variety of topics, ranging from playing time at last for offensive lineman Christian Westerman to a great lap story about legendary former Raiders owner Al Davis. After hearing from Lap, we'll hear from Carlos Dunlap on being nominated for one of the NFL's most prestigious honors. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the lowdown on John Gruden's Raiders from former Pro Bowl offensive lineman Lincoln Kennedy, who currently calls Oakland's games on the radio with Brent Musburger, still going strong at the age of 79. All of that is straight ahead, but first, Here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since Christmas cards. You heard me. I am a big fan of Christmas cards. Love seeing the family photos. I love hearing from friends that I haven't seen in years. However, I am not a big fan of of the bragging Christmas letter. While we can agree that it's great that your kids are crushing it at Ivy League schools, we don't need three mimeographed pages about it in your Christmas card. Now let's get to football. The Bengals will try to snap their five-game losing streak this Sunday against an Oakland team that has been awful under the $100 million man, John Gruden. The Raiders share the worst record in the NFL with San Francisco and Arizona, and Oakland has been outscored by 144 points. The Cardinals are the only team that's been outscored by more, with a deficit of 149. The Bengals have been outscored by 90, but last week, they pushed one of the best teams in the league to the brink, losing a nail-biter to the Chargers in Los Angeles. The Bengals' defense, last in the league in points allowed, last in the league in yards allowed, was excellent over the final three quarters of that game. And that's where I begin my conversation with broadcast partner Dave Lapham. Lapham, last week's game against the Chargers, L.A. scored touchdowns on its first two drives, and it looked like it was going to be another disaster like the Chiefs or Saints games. But after that, the Chargers had eight possessions without scoring a touchdown, including two drives that started in Cincinnati territory. What changed, and is it significant going forward? I think it is, Dan. um, On the first two drives... The Bengals gave up 10 first downs, four first downs on the first drive, six first downs on the second drive. The rest of the game, those eight drives, seven first downs total. And they started playing more man in the, in the secondary. And, and uh, they drafted guys out of college, William Jackson, Drake, Kirkpatrick, long, long arms, that like to press, play bump and run, get their hands on people. Darquez Denard, same thing at Michigan State. You know, they feel comfortable doing that. And I think that the coverage um, – coverage was much better as a result rivers has to hold the ball a little longer pass rush starts getting there now the pass rushers start to get more confidence they start turning up another notch and all of a sudden the gloves fit in the hand you know good coverage better sack possibility better pressure more interception possibility i mean it all is you know conjoined there's no question about it and and it was disjointed and now it's it looks looks like it's starting to meld and mesh a little bit more i hope 
that through the rest of the season they play more man coverage because they look pretty darn good. And I'm not saying that the Chargers had multiple receivers that could really beat you up with route running. Keenan Allen can, and, and I tell you what, Jackson did a good job on him. So I'm anxious to see those guys go out and play man coverage and say, I got you and I'm eliminating you for the rest of the season and watch, uh, watch the increase in pressure on the quarterback. Lap, for much of our broadcast last Sunday, you were raving about the interior offensive line play of Billy Price, Alex Redman, and Christian Westerman. Do the Bengals have something there, and is it time to see exactly what Westerman can do? Yeah, Westerman played 42 snaps, you know, in the game, and, and um, you know, I'm not, I don't know about the assignment, um, if he carried out his assignment fully with the right person and all the things that go along with that, but watching him play, he is powerful, he is strong, he can bend. And um, he bends at the knees, not the waist. You don't want to be a waist bender. You want to bend at the knees, and, and then you're in still in a good football position. And he is. I'll tell you, the guy is. He's got some brute force, some brute strength to him. And they were they were moving people, Dan. You know, the the first double team that I saw between Billy Price and Westerman. I mean, you got to buy a token for that ride if you're a defensive lineman. He went five seven yards backwards, right into the linebacker's lap. They just washed everything away. And Joe Mixon was feeding off of it. I talked to Joe a little bit after the game, and I'm like, that was a, I mean, when you see a push like that, he goes, oh, man, you know, that's now, now it's, you're living right, you're living good. And if you give Joe, as, ta- as talented as he is, uh, an ability to get past the line of scrimmage before he makes his first cut, and in some cases it was like two or three yards past the line of scrimmage, you know, just right up the belly of the defense, that's, that's really getting it done. And I think that's why they stayed in the game against a good football team as long as they did as they imposed their will in the interior and everything, you know, they, they fed off of that aspect of it. So I do think that you need to find out uh, what you have. With, you don't want to end another season and say, man, Christian Westerman physically. I mean, we know we got something there. Can he play? Can he respond? Can he, can he handle a, a lot of the stress of the game mentally and all that goes along with it? Can he do it? One way to find out. Got to expose him to snaps in, at critical times. In, in games uh, against, you know, really good competition and, and see what you got. Um, you know, Redmond has to continue to improve and, and quit with the mental errors. And Billy Price is literally halfway through his rookie year because of the injury. So all three of those guys, I mean, I, I think the, the concluding three games of this season are pivotal and monumental for those three guys. If they can start to, to form some kind of a bond there and, and prove that, hey, the, in, the interior of the Bengals' offensive line might be pretty good in years to come. We've seen two starts by Jeff Driscoll. In those games, he's thrown two touchdown passes, one interception. He's had a touchdown run that got wiped out by a bad rule, and he's been sacked seven times. Has he been better, worse, or about what you expected? I think about what I expected. Um, he, I, I knew he had NFL arm talent. And he does. I mean, we're watching him throw. He's got velocity, accuracy. He puts it in, in tight spots. You know, he makes the, uh, the contested catch less contested. He'll hit his receiver before, you know, the arrival of the defender and those kind of things. Um, but he, he still needs to see the field, you know, a little bit more readily and easily than he is right now. And that comes with, with reps. Um, they, they designed a play for Franks. I was looking at the game again, and Franks did a little out-and-up move, and it's seven points. It's there. And he either didn't see it or got off it too fast and didn't see it as it unfolded. You know, another time he uh, made a completion and got the first down, but there was another receiver on an eight-yard uh, hook that was all by himself would have been an easier throw to make. And you can you can nitpick and cherry-pick every single quarterback's performance, but I think some of the easy throws 
uh, I think are going to come to him, you know, based on the number of reps and the number of snaps he gets. But I'm impressed with him. I really am. I mean, I think uh, physically um, he's got he's got a lot of skills. I mean, he's he can move. He's strong. He's big, physical. I think that he's um, accelerating his career. I think that in the first two games that he's played, I think around the league it's like, hmm, let's let's take a longer look at, at Jeff Driscoll. He's not hurting himself. He's he's helping himself with this opportunity, and that's what you want as a as a backup quarterback. When when opportunity knocks, you know, uh, when the door's open to crack, you got to kick it in. And I th- I think he's doing that. And I, I I'm looking forward to see him play against the Raiders because uh, the two games that he's played, look at the pass rush. I mean, Denver edge rushers, you know, and um, you know back back to back games, you know, you you got. Uh, the situation that he, he just faced last week, you know, a couple of good edge rushes as well. So now maybe you get a little bit of a breather. Denver's only got 11, 11 quarterback sacks as a team in 13 games, and he, he was playing against guys that had that many individually, you know, Chubb, Von Miller. Uh, Joey Bosa hasn't played that many games this year, but he's capable of, of those kind of numbers. It's, it's, I, it's, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how he plays against the uh, Oakland Raiders and Paul Gunther. Aaron Donald has 16 and a half sacks, and the Raiders, as you mentioned, have 11 as a team. One thing about Paul Gunther, though, as we know, with that double-A gap blitz and all the things he does off of it, he can run a lot of coverages behind that double-A gap. He can confuse quarterbacks. We saw him confuse Flacco time after time, a veteran quarterback. So that's the one thing Jeff Driscoll is going to have to be really good with his nose in the book, you know, and studying tape and, and the playbook and everything to make sure that he's not confused by stuff that Paul Gunther is going to concoct because you know – going against an inexperienced quarterback, he's going to throw the kitchen sink at him in terms of different looks. Who's your most pleasant surprise and your your biggest disappointment? I think I think uh, based on the way the season um, unfolded, the 4-1 and one start, there were a lot of good surprises, but in the 1-7 stretch here, I'm, I'm most, uh, I guess, pleased. I don't know about surprise, but most pleased with what Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd are given. Not just uh, with their numbers, but those guys are all in. I mean, they go out and they play no matter what. I mean, they're going to go out and compete. They're going to go out and slug it out. Um, they're going to get after it, snap after snap. I think I think the fan base is, has responded to Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd uh, because of that. You know, I, I think that those guys are, have, uh, I think, shown themselves as as leaders. I think their leadership is building. I think guys are gravitating toward them. Um, you know, and I, I think it's unfortunate uh, that Jeff Driscoll is in the situation he's in, but I think he's responded well. I think the the thing to me uh, that's telling with a quarterback is how the guys react and respond to him. And when he came into that football game, they responded very positively, and they have ever ever since. And even in in a couple of defeats, teammates coming up to him in the locker room when I'm in there right away after the game, you know nice job. Hey, you worked your tail off today. I mean, you gave everything you got. So they are responding to Jeff Driscoll, not only with his physical abilities, but also, you know, with his makeup and the way he is with his teammates. And I know he, he works hard at practice. He practices his tail off. And I think guys are, are um, you know, grateful or appreciative of him taking advantage of the opportunity that he's been given. They feel like he deserves it and, and he's doing something about it. I think probably my biggest disappointment is I'm stunned at how the defense played. I mean, I think every prob- every Bengals fan is. I mean, I thought really the beginning of the season with uh, two pro bowlers that just got big contract extensions 
and uh, they you know they'd have a lot of juice as a result you know for a lot of reasons to go out and really have big years and then on the back end with three first round picks back there covering people uh, we talked about it a few times that's the makings of a decent defense in today's NFL and man just to fall on their face the way they did um, is stunning to me I mean it, it's historically bad and I had no inkling that it was going to be that bad during the course of training camp I thought oh man they're hustling look the only the thing that they did in the four and one stretch was the, creating the turnovers and defensive scores and all that. But that's dried up. I mean that that well has gone pretty dry, uh, and and really it's it's uh, it's almost it's almost incomprehensible to me that they can be as bad as they are statistically after 13 games in the into the season. So by far that's my biggest disappointment, surprise, shock, stunner, whatever you want to c- categorize it. It's it's just absolutely mind-boggling to me. So I'm watching Monday Night Football this week, and Century Link Field in Seattle was rocking. The place was packed. The noise level was deafening. That will not be the case here on Sunday for the home finale, but it used to be. The Bengals sold out 57 straight games between 2003 and 2010. As somebody who has been affiliated with this franchise for most of your life, how much do the empty seats bother you, and what will it take to get people back? Uh, it does bother me, and it bothers me as a former player because I can hearken back to <laughs> a 4-12 and season where our final home game against the Atlanta Falcons, offense was being introduced. We ran out the tunnel, and, you know, it was 10 minutes before kickoff or whatever it was, and our footsteps were echoing. There was nobody there. And, you, you know, you look around, and it's like, oh, boy. You know, now you have to, you have to manufacture your own energy. And you've you got to do it. I mean, you're a professional. You're being paid to do it. Um, but sometimes it's not as easy to do as, as people think, but you have to. And, and that's been, I think, a question that a lot of the fans have. Boy, are these guys even going to give effort? I mean, I'll, I'll show up if they give effort. If they, if they tr- try, and, and in my eyes are doing everything they can to win a football game and not throwing in neutral and cruise control, you know, I'll, I'll come and support them. So I think that's what it's going to take. And then when, when the stadium is packed, I mean, boy, feeding off that energy – you know, uh, the Super Bowl season, Super Bowl 16 in 1981 with the fans with the orange and black faces and the Hootay, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the birth of uh, the Hootay chants and all that. It was unbelievable. It was like, uh, it was like a college atmosphere. And, you know, then you, when you're running out of the tunnel, your feet aren't in the ground. I mean, you're, you're on cloud nine. You're floating. And you feel like you can pick the stadium up, you know, uh, not only go play football. So it, it, is, it is night and day. And, uh, and all the other things go along with it, Dan. I mean, as a... As an offensive lineman, um, I know what it's like to not be able to hear people, and and that's what it was like. Our defense would feed off of that. Our crowd was going nuts, and and the Bengals have to get back to that. And the only way they can do it is to give full effort every single snap and win some football games. This week, it's the 2018 home finale as the Bengals host the three and ten Oakland Raiders. The Bengals are three point favorite despite all of their injuries and their five game losing streak. Lap Raiders fans had high hopes with John Gruden returning to the sidelines this year. Why do the Raiders stink? <laughs> uh, they dismantled you know, the football team, basically. They're, they're, they're building for the opening of their new stadium in Las Vegas, and they basically are thumbing their noses at the Oakland Raider fans who have been tremendously loyal to that franchise for a number of years, and they had, you know, they were thrilled. Here comes John Gruden back. Boy, we've got a quarterback this Pro Bowl caliber. We have Mack, who's the best defensive player. Not anymore. Mack's a Chicago Bear. Uh, Cooper is a Dallas Cowboy. They're accumulating first-round picks, but I don't care if you have 10 first-round picks. You may not ever find another Mack. 
to give up him, to give up on Mac, and to trade him is is unbelievable to me. Irvin, Bruce Irvin, another good pass rusher, is no longer a Raider. So they only have 11 sacks in 13 games. It's uh, it's it's unbelievable. There's no no pass rush, and um, they're they've had their injuries too. You look at their injury reserve list; it's about as lengthy as the Bengals is. And interestingly enough, Dan, there are eight former Bengals on that roster. Four of them are injury reserve. So the the, uh, the virus is not is not only current Bengals, former Bengals around the league. Four of the eight uh, former Bengals are on injury reserve with the Raiders. That's that's mind boggling. So. I think that's that's pretty much it. They've uh, they traded their best players to try to get future draft picks, and then the injuries to players that uh, remained, and they're a shell of what they thought they might be. Last thing, it's been seven years since former Raiders owner Al Davis passed away, but his legend still looms large over the franchise. Do you have an Al Davis story? Yeah, I remember uh, early in my career going out to Oakland and. Uh, you know, Al Davis had let the grass grow to about a foot and a half long because he didn't have he didn't have huge speed. You know, like Bolitnikov really couldn't run. Marv Hubbard wasn't a, a guy that was really a runner. You know, more of a powerful football team than a speed team. So he would always let the grass grow and and try try to negate the opposition's team speed a little bit. And I remember vividly the stories about it. Then when I went out there. I'm like, this grass is longer. There's no question about it. It's funny, and I I see him on the field and. Uh, we were just going through um, individual position drill warm-ups, and he kind of walked by the offensive line area. And I, when I was curling back to the end of the line after going through a little drill, um, he comes walking by in his black and silver, you know, garb, his, his Raider garb, and uh, he's chewing gum about 150 miles an hour. You know, he was banging, the, banging his gums away. And, uh, hey, hey, uh, Syracuse, huh? <laughs> he says, laughing, what's going on, huh? Syracuse. I'm like, yeah. Hey, Mr. Davis, how you doing? You know, and and that honestly, that was a thrill to to actually see him in that uh, in that kind of environment, and then think, I mean, he actually knows my name. That was I'm like, God, that's unbelievable that Al Davis knows my last name. That's cool as heck. And then um, when the game uh, later on, uh, we're playing when Matt Millen is a Raider. We're playing the Raiders and. I was, I'd gotten to be pretty good friends with him, and after the game, we're talking, and a couple of things happened during the course of the game that were pretty funny. But after the game, I said, um, man, you guys, you guys are dirty. You know, I mean, your, your whole mentality is, I mean, you, you, you guys you guys push it every single snap. I mean, you, you're committing multiple fouls. He goes, you don't think that's by design, dude? Al Davis says to us, look, go out there, do whatever you need to do to get the job done. And if they throw a penalty flag, all of you commit a foul, and they're going to go throw two in a row. And if they throw two, they're not going to throw three in a row. He said, "Go out there and do whatever it takes." And, and he said that came from the top. That was that was from the top down. Just uh, you know, press the press the, the the limit on the on the rule infractions every single play. And man, those guys, it was a street fight when you played those guys, man. You had to bring it because <laughs> they were bringing it all. They they were they were going out there and, and doing everything they possibly could to win the football game, if we're within the rules or not within the boundary of the rules. <laughs> Just win, baby. Exactly. Just win, baby, at all costs, no matter what it takes. Al Davis, the legend. Thanks, Lap. Last week, the Bengals announced that Carlos Dunlap is the team's nominee for the 2018 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. Considered one of the league's most prestigious honors, it recognizes an NFL player for outstanding community service, 
as well as excellence on the field. Carlos is helping the Cincinnati community in a wide variety of ways. For starters, there's the Carlos Dunlap Foundation, which focuses on education, offering tutoring and after-school events. And Carlos is in the second season of his anti-bullying tour. Dunlap made stops at five schools in Cincinnati and also met with kids in Charlotte, Kansas City, and Baltimore during road trips. This is the second time in four years that Dunlap has been nominated for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and he talked about the honor with Lap on Wednesday. Uh, it's an unbelievable acknowledgement, you know, being able to, you know, get recognized and nominated, you know, twice, um, especially knowing what all my teammates are doing here. Um, you know, a lot of guys are very active in the community here in Cincinnati and at, at home. So um, to get recognized, knowing what they're doing is definitely, uh, you know, a privilege and an honor to you know, represent the team again. And let's try to bring it home. I hear you. Your anti-bullying campaign has is, is been highly recognized, uh, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive what you're doing there. And you're not only doing it here in Cincinnati, you're doing on, you know, you're taking it on the road a little bit to other NFL cities. What was the, uh, what was the impetus? Of, what, was, what was the trigger mechanism that got you involved in the, in the anti-bullying campaign? Well, with my foundation, um, we've been going to a lot of the schools and, and you know, um, trying to hit home the importance of education. Um, so we go to talk to these inner city athletes who don't really take their education that seriously, but they're you know, excelling on the football field. And, and we, we go on there and we challenge them to, you know, take that same competitive uh, mindset that they have on, on the field of playing service, whatever it is that they're on, um, and bring that into the classroom because, uh, you know, you have to go through college. And uh, also uh, your college education and your college degree is something that never depreciate or go away. You know, you might get old, slow down a little bit. Right. You know. All those other things that happen, injuries happen, but they'll never be able to take your mind away. And that college degree that, you know, putting that up on the wall is an uh, unbelievable accomplishment. And some people are, you know, first generation for doing that. And, you know, one of the schools nearby, one of the schools that I go to and talk about the importance of education had a situation where, you know, a smart kid was excelling in the classroom, but he was getting bullied for being smart. And it was to the point where he felt that alone, that he – wanted to take his own life mm. and for a young kid at that age um, you know I can't imagine what he must have been going through to feel that much pressure as a kid you know you know kids don't usually feel much of anything sure. um, but he must have been going through that much pressure that he felt like that that was his only option so we didn't want to we wanted to take a stand on that and try to make a difference on that because no kids should feel that alone in a school system or school after school whatever with this many adults this many you know principal administrators um people that they can use as a resource and and, and also you just want to educate the kids on what bullying it is because you know a lot of times kids aren't are aware that they're actually bullying somebody you know they think it's a joke but one of the things we say it's not a joke unless everybody's included if you win the national award, what is it, two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars that that goes to your in your name to your, to what play sixty is it or your foundation or both or how does that work? Yeah, there's so half of it goes to uh, the playbook or um, the foundation that the NFL designates, and then the other half I get to designate 
um, who it will go to. Um, I get to pick a foundation of my choice. Um, and for in order for me to win, I need everyone to go on their social media platform and uh, use the hashtag Walter Payton Man of the Year, but abbreviate it WMPOY Challenge Space Dunlap. And that's. And that's, that's how they can vote. Yeah, that's how. That, as simple as that is how you can vote. You tweet that hashtag, or you post a picture on Instagram using the hashtag, and that counts as the vote. And there's no, there's no limit to how many times you want to vote. And I want to thank everybody in advance. This year, all 32 team winners will be highlighted as finalists and recognized for their important work during the weekend leading up to the Super Bowl. To learn more about Dunlap's nomination, visit NFL.com/backslash. Man of the Year. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment as we take a closer look at the upcoming opponent. And to do that, we pick the brain of former Pro Bowl offensive lineman Lincoln Kennedy, who calls Raiders games on the radio with the legendary Brent Musburger. They're, they're outmanned at pretty much every position. What I mean by that is that injuries have decimated their, this roster. They've asked uh, Gruden and his staff has asked a lot of rookies to step up they're, on, they're averaging, you know, starting on every game at least 12 first-year players. So, you know, across the board, it's a, it's a very thin roster. And most people have asked me over the last couple of months, were the Raiders trying to lose to better position themselves for the draft? Well, knowing John Gruden have a playing for him the way I do, I would never see that. And I guess you saw it last week against the Steelers. Let me ask you, big man, uh, at the offensive tackle position, two rookies, Colton Miller, Marcel Aitman, how are they playing? How they, how are they looking? They're big people, big body guy. Or excuse me, uh, Brandon Parker at the right Brandon tackle Parker, position. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Brandon Parker and Colton Miller. How how are the big boys playing on the edge there? Well, you can imagine if you're a rookie coming into the National Football League, especially the AFC West division, where you've got guys like you know you you got guys like Bosa and Ingram and Vaughn Miller and all you know just to name a few. Bradley Chubb at the outside end. Sure. How hard it can be to be successful. Uh, it's no different. Uh, Colton Miller, for what it's worth, has done a, a fairly good job as a rookie stepping in and playing really one of the more, more, most difficult positions on the line. Cool. And then Brandon Parker, for what it's worth, Brandon went to a small school. He went to North Carolina A&T. And so for him to be thrusted into position, he's got all the intangibles. He's got the footwork. He's got the size. He's got the strength. He just doesn't have the experience. And you know as well as I do, when it comes to offensive line play, it's all about reps and snaps and right. playing against premier talent. That's what you have to do uh, in the National Football League. So um, he's taking his lumps. Uh, I, actually, I should back that up. Uh, Derek Carr is taking his lumps by, by, <laughs> by his inexperience. Right. Um, but, but for the most part, you know, they're, they're doing fairly well. They'll be good for the future. It's just they're going to take their lumps this season. Right. We are talking to the great former Pro Bowler Lincoln Kennedy. The Raiders traded away two great players in Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. How did that impact morale? Uh, it, it, it really shrank it. I mean, it really did. It depleted it, um, to be honest with you. A, a lot of guys in the locker room did not expect that to happen. I know why Gruden did it in both cases, but uh, for the most part, a lot of guys didn't know what was going on. Um, they kind of got over after a while the Khalil Mack trade, but then when they traded Amari Cooper, um, because John Gruden, when he came in, he took over the roster. He made it from it went from one of the youngest rosters in the National Football League to one of the older rosters by signing like 17 guys who were 30 and over. So um, it left a lot of those guys, those veterans, in there unsure about their future. 
what's your take on the Raleigh McKenzie uh, firing? And then John's catching a lot of uh, a lot of grief, obviously, from the media uh, about w- w- with the press conference and about how he was surprised that it took place. And everybody's you know interpretation is, hey, the guy's in control. The guy's going to be head coach, GM, everything else. They're paying him a hundred million dollars, you know, for ten years. How can he not know? How can he be surprised? What kind of a trickle down do you think there's been from that, if any, to players? And, and what's your take on it? Well, my my take is this: I'm not surprised. I'm surprised in the timing. I knew it was going to happen because ever since, like I mentioned, when Gruden came in and took over, um, he basically depleted the roster. All the draft choices pretty much got rid of a lot of the draft choices that Reggie McKenzie and his staff had over the years. Um, so you knew he, Reggie was going to move on. And Reggie's a good guy. He's a good general manager. He'll land on his feet somewhere else. I don't doubt that for for a second. But, you know, look, Gruden's been playing this game all season. He did it with Khalil Mack. He did it with Mari Cooper, um, you know, acting like he wasn't in the know. And, and we all know it's we're not foolish. We all know what's going on. It is what it is. Um, but he wants to put his own staple in this roster, and he wants to. He's going to start um, in this off season. They've got a ton of cash to spend. More importantly, they've got you know three first round draft choices. So they're going to do a lot this uh, upcoming draft, this upcoming off season. Lincoln, you are the ninth pick in the draft out of Washington. The Bengals have a ninth pick in the draft out of Washington, and John Ross. I imagine you have interest in John. What do you think of the injury problems he's had and the relatively slow start to his NFL career? I would have liked him to stay in college a year longer um, uh, and finish out that because I just think his durability needed to be tested and needed to be tested by reps. It's very difficult to be put in that position, especially when you, you know, what he did at the combine and everybody was so blown away about his speed. Um, it's a little bit different in the National Football League. Hey, everybody's fast. Uh, and you got to find a way to be durable. Uh, I'm wishing John the best. I do hope he, he, he figures it out uh, sooner or later because, look, I was in the situation when I first got drafted by Atlanta, um, did not fit in their scheme of things, was written off by many to a bust as being a bust until I got the chance to play in Oakland and sort of revitalize my career. For Cincinnati Bengal fans and, and Cincinnati's sake, I hope he's able to figure it out sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's amazing how it's, it's where you go is almost as important as anything else. It's who you're, who you're coached by, what scheme it is. I mean, is it a fit? Isn't it a fit? You know, I mean, quarterbacks, uh, if, they, if they get drafted into a bad situation in terms of coaches and schematic, you know, they're a bust like Goff's a bust with Fisher. Now look at them. You know, it, it, it really is. It's, a lot of that is determined by the luck of the draw, you know, where you end up and how you end up. Let me ask you about Jared Cook. This guy's a freakazoid, 6'5", 255 pounds, Runs like a wideout. I mean, he, they detach him and let him run routes like a wideout. How big a factor is this foot? Is this guy in the future of football at, at, with the Raiders? Well, you look at the overall position of tight end. It's absolutely key, essential in order for us to, an offense to be successful. For the most part, they got to have a tight end. Uh, look at Indianapolis. I think Indianapolis has four tight ends on the uh, the, the roster who are six three and, and taller. Right. Uh, you talk about Travis Kelsey. I mean, you talk about the, the great Gronkowski. The, because the rules are the way they are, if you have a good-sized tight end and, and if he has some speed to himself, it, it pre- presents a matchup problem for defenses because he might be, he'll be faster than an average linebacker. He'll be taller than an average safety. So who are you going to put on? You're going to waste a corner to put on? Then he's bigger than him. So that's the advantage that you get out of the position, especially if the receiver type. So, but Jared Cook has been the Raiders MVP and Derek Carr knows it. And he's, he's going to try to get defenses into nickel or a dime scheme and they're going to try 
outside and find out who's matched up. You saw last week in the Pittsburgh game that when he had a linebacker or an undersized safety, it was automatic he was going to go to him. Yep. A couple more questions for Lincoln Kennedy. We saw a lot of Paul Gunther here as defensive coordinator, and as the Bengals' D.C., Paul liked to rush four and drop seven. He hated to blitz. Bengals probably had the lowest blitz percentage while he was here of any team in the NFL. I look at the Oakland stats. I see 11 sacks as a team, and I assume that that's what Paul has been doing. Is that the case? That is the key. Well, he's, look, he's, he's having the blitz because the Raiders don't have a rusher. The Raiders on each level of the defense, defensive line, linebackers, and secondary, have, have holes. They have needs. Um, and, and there's going to be major turnover this, uh, this offseason in the roster, especially on the defensive side. I, I like Gunther's scheme. He just doesn't have the, the, the people to do it. And talking with Paul extensively, you know, he said, look, if I had a guy like Khalil Mack, you know, I could, I could do some things with him, rushing him, get him isolated and stuff like that, but he doesn't have that luxury. Arden Key, for what it's worth right now, the Raiders' third-round pick, was, uh, was, is, is a nickel rusher because he's undersized. Um, he's not an every-down player. So the Raiders have got to address the needs, uh, as I said, on every level of their defense. And Paul Gunther is going to have to re- have a major turnover uh, in order to implement his philosophy because right now they just don't have the people to do it. Lincoln, how good is uh, Maurice Hurst? He's playing really well. Um, he had he was injured. He didn't play the last game. Uh, I think yeah, the last game he was out. Um, and but he has been playing pretty well. Look, the Raiders are asking their rookies to do a lot, right? Because they have been decimated by injuries and had a, a bunch of the older players put on IR. They're asking their young players to do a lot. More importantly, they've got to get the young players to believe into it. Because even if the veterans say they don't want to be with the Raiders anymore, they want to go elsewhere. Your 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 future is going to be dictated a lot on your rookies and your new coming players. And so they've asking. Maurice and P.J. Hall and a lot of Justin Ellis, a lot of those defensive tackles that do a lot, especially in that interior rotation because they're valuable as far as run-stopping goes. What, what are the players thinking um, like next year? Where are we going to play? Oakland suing us. I mean, do the players think no about Do you think yeah. the players think no, about yeah, any yeah, of that yeah, stuff? Yeah, the thing is that players players just want to play. If yeah. you said they had to play on the sand lot, they they play they do that. They don't they don't get caught up in these things. Now, yeah. the, the 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 matter of uncertainty comes for a lot of the veterans who've got families. Right. And if they bought a place in California or they're trying to figure out where they're going to be, I mean, that's where you kind of get offset. But I'm I'm in the dark just like you guys, and I'm pretty close to the organization. I have no idea where we're playing next year. Yeah. I don't. And it's it's sad when you got three games left in the season, and I'm really tied with a lot of the Raider faithful and, the, and Raider Nation up in the Bay Area. Um, there are a lot of season ticket holders who don't know. They're, they're unsure. They don't want to commit to the team, even though they want to follow them, because they don't know where they're going to be. Huh. Bizarre. The Raider fans have been as, I mean, as, as energetic and as, as supportive as any in the history of the NFL. Is it waning at all with all this that's going on, or, or is Raider Nation as strong as ever? No, it's it's definitely waning. There's there's no doubt about it because there's a level of uncertainty. Right now, there were a lot of Raider fans who were excited that John Gruden came back in the fold because when he came back, he projected that the Raiders are going to be competitive and they they were going to try to challenge for a Super Bowl before the Raiders left. Well, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, it's not going to happen this year, obviously, and it's not probably not going to happen next year unless I mean everything falls their way and they get you know it just doesn't happen like that in the National Football League. So there's a lot of uncertainty from the heartbeat of the Raider Nation, which is in Oakland, California. You know, the future looks bright as far as the stadium goes when they get in Vegas and everything else when that time comes. But in that interim, in that time between now and then, it, there's a lot of uncertainty. And the Raider Nation is up in the air because they don't know where the team's going to be. They right. would love to support them, but here's the thing. You, you, uh, this is such a 
bizarre situation, uh, even with the relocation, that, that it's really hard to, to commit to something or want to be a part of something, uh, especially when they're not being as successful as, they, as you want on the field. Final question, we'll let you go. What's it like working with Musburger? <laughs> Really surreal. It, it really is. It's um, every time I'm, I, I look over to Brent, I, I remember him as a kid on CBS with the crew right. and hearing his voice. Uh, you know, it's it was so it's timeless. Uh, being and hearing the stories that he's had throughout his career, so it's it's absolutely wonderful. But um, it is a, a surreal moment when you when you realize what I realized that I'm calling games with the legendary Brent Musburger. It's uh, it's it's a dream come true. Our thanks to Lincoln Kennedy, and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback is always appreciated, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks so much for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.